Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Good morning, Crossroads. How are we? Good. Uh, it is a, an overwhelming privilege to be here this morning. Uh, my heart is, there's a lot going on in here. So I look around and see faces that, uh, by God's grace, formed me and shaped me. Uh, that in the hallways of this building, but in your homes, for some of you, on mission trips with many of you, in Miss Sunday School class when we first came to Crossroads 19 years ago. Uh, and to walk in this place this morning and to shake hands with, with men and women that are spiritual giants for me. Uh, to shake hands with a, a Jimmy Dobson that I remember sitting right there while there was a desk on stage and learning about what it meant to meet with God. To go on mission trips with the Rochas who now have children on the mission field. You followed Jesus well, Crossroads. And my life, in many ways, is the way it is because of this church. There were some bumpy seasons after I left here, certainly, and some of y'all might say, Chris, there were bumpy seasons when you were here. Um, But as I've reflected on this opportunity, I want to say thank you, and I also want to encourage you that what you are doing for the youth, for the next generation, from, from little ones until they graduate, Oftentimes, you see little fruit from that. You just see, oftentimes, a couple of knuckleheads running around making messes in your home on, uh, on weekends and things like that. But Crossroads, you faithfully tilled the soil of my life. That at times, you reached in and took big, ugly rocks out. At times, you were just tilling the soil. But I want to say thank you for doing the hard, dirty work by God's grace and the Spirit's empowerment to till soil in my life. You've been a huge part of that, and it is an overwhelming privilege to say thank you this morning, to say well done. It's also exciting to come and see many faces that I know, but also faces that I don't. Uh, There was no Spanish uh, community here when I was here. And now there's baptisms that are happening in Spanish. Can we just praise God for that? I mean, it's remarkable. This is only a movement of the Spirit of God. We praise God for that. We thank Jesus for that. that we're seeing him as king and worthy of all of our worship. I graduated from the Woodlands High in 2009 and then went to Sam Houston State, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, I went there for a music degree. Uh, Some of y'all might remember I used to play saxophone right there on many Sundays, and uh, I thought I wanted to be a band director, and in my time at Sam, I got connected to this church called University Heights Baptist Church, and uh, in a very difficult season, which I'll share a bit about, the Lord rescued me. He set my feet upon a rock. 
and the soil that you tilled began to bear fruit in ways that it hadn't before. And I felt the Lord calling me to be a pastor. And so I finished my time at Sam and graduated with a music degree. Um, And then our church invited me to come on staff and help send me to seminary and train me to be a pastor. Uh, And here we are, uh, 10 years Since 2009, I've been in Huntsville, Texas, as our church in Huntsville has been cultivating me to go and make Jesus known. They've picked up where you guys left off and tilling the soil, and they might say they got bigger and uglier rocks to dig out of the soil, and y'all might argue that. But um, now the Lord has us in a season where our home is selling on October 21st by God's grace, and uh, and we're moving to San Marcos, Texas, to start a new church. And yeah, this is tremendously exciting. But but here's what excites me even more than that. It's not about a church. It's not about a building. It's not about new movements. But but it's about Jesus. And Jesus, who was and is alive in you, you planted him deep inside my heart. And you tilled the soil with the spirit of God and the body of Christ. And now 19 years later, after coming here to Crossroads, we're going out not to start a new church, but to plant Jesus in a city where they would say there are currently only 1,000 out of 40,000 college students having access to a meaningful relationship with Jesus. A community growing by 100 people a week. The overwhelming majority who don't know Jesus. And you planted Jesus deep within my heart, and he's grown and grown and grown. And now we're being sent to go plant Jesus again in a community that desperately needs him. And I want you to hear, I'm unspeakably grateful for the investment that you've made uh, into my life and for keeping my uh, really quiet and reserved dad in line while I've been gone and uh, just being a blessing to my mom. So I'm thankful for you guys more than you know. Uh, But I didn't come here just to say thank you. I did come here for that. But uh, you, through Larry, planted a love for preaching the word in my heart. And God has given me a passion for that. And so I hope you packed a lunch. I am Larry's student in many ways. And uh, someone said there was a cupcake outside. So first want to get that. You're, you're better off for it. But they said I have about an hour and a half. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me to the letter of First Peter. We're going to continue in our series of First Peter. First uh, Peter chapter 1. I'm going to pick up in verse 13. And so as you turn there, if you would, just please stand as we honor God through the reading of his word. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. If you got it, say, got it. it. Excellent. Therefore, in light of all that we've just talked about, in light of the goodness of God and his giving of this living hope, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You may be seated. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it is wisdom to us unto salvation. God, we thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, God, that your word inspired by you is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and for training in righteousness. God, we ask that through your spirit, through the preaching of your word, God, that you would do what only you can this morning. Lord, that you would open our hearts, bear before you that you might do a sanctifying surgery upon us. So God, for the dark parts of our heart, would you light them up with the glory of Jesus this morning? It's in his name that we pray and for his glory and our joy. And we said together, amen, amen. I come with a premise before we get to the text this morning, and my premise is this. Uh, It's really rooted in the text that just was before this uh, in verse 8. It says, though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. My premise is this, that God our Father, longs for you and I to have inexpressible joy each and every day as we know him and follow him. That God, our Father, longs for us to walk in, to live in an inexpressible joy filled with glory. Wow. Seriously? You mean God wants inexpressible joy for us each and every day? Really? I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to visualize a moment in your life where you felt like you were able to experience inexpressible joy. Close your eyes for a moment. Inexpressible joy where you felt like your heart might just explode out of you. I think about the other morning uh, as we were having uh, a Millar family dance party in our house with my two-and-a-half-year-old son and our two-month-old daughter and my bride. I mean, I thought my heart was just going to explode. I mean, we were just worshiping Jesus and dancing like crazy people, and it was so rich, so rich, inexpressible joy. And God says, I want this for you. 
But how? How do we have that joy? How do we experience this inexpressible joy each and every day, knowing, as, as Peter talks about, this world is going to be hard for us. We're going to experience great trials and tribulations and suffering. How do I have this joy? What does that look like? How do I experience that? And as Larry's been preaching, as Peter's been writing, we know that it begins with hope that we experience this inexpressible joy through hope. But, but not just any kind of hope, a, a hope that is set in the right place. And so I want to begin with, with the question of where should our hope be? Uh, Larry talked about this quite a bit last week, about where our hope should be, but Peter emphasizes it again, beginning in verse 13. He says, therefore... Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Larry talked last week about this eternal perspective. I want to zoom in on that for a moment and then address some of what's happened in my heart. I want to zoom in this morning. Where should our hope be? It should be on grace on grace that comes to us through Jesus. If we're going to walk in inexpressible joy, we can't just hope in anything. We can't just hope that the Texans are finally going to win a Super Bowl. We can't just hope that the Astros will win the series again. We have to have our hope in a very specific place, and that is the grace that is to be revealed to us in Jesus. So I grew up here at Crossroads, and I learned about the things of God, and I placed my faith in Jesus, and I was growing in Jesus. But I was also, some of y'all might argue this, uh, I was a fairly good church kid. I feel like the roaches might argue this differently. But I was mostly well-behaved. I was a leader in our student ministry. I was responsible to those that were investing in me. I listened to them most of the time, uh, except for that one time that I mooned a church van on a mission trip. That happened at Crossroads. <laughs> that really did. And, and you didn't excommunicate me. That was one of those rocks that y'all just pulled out. And... I thought I knew what it looked like to know and follow Jesus. But then I went to Sam Houston. And, and y'all know the, the Woodlands often is called a bubble. Uh, for the first time, my bubble popped. And no one really knew me. No one really cared about me. And I didn't really know anyone there. When I was... My, in my senior year at the Woodlands High, I was the band president of the Woodlands High School Band. I was uh, the class clown in a class of 900. I was known by a lot of the teachers, but then I left. And what I discovered my freshman year at Sam as a person who was marked by joy and confidence began to be a person marked by crying himself to sleep every night began to be a person who started going, hey, what happened to my joy? Hey, what happened to my confidence? My freshman year, I began an incredibly difficult struggle with depression. And my whole life seemed to just crumble before me. 
I had great parents. I came from a wonderful home. There was no indicator that this should have been the case, but weeks into my freshman year, Sam, driving Highway 30, I thought to myself, maybe I'll just speed up the car and drive off the road. Maybe I'll just end it all. Because I'm so depressed. I'm so overwhelmed with sadness. And why? What happened to me? I had my hope in the wrong place. That although I knew Jesus and was following Jesus, what had happened in my life was I had built my hope on what other people thought of me and how well I performed for them. And Crossroads, I want to pause here. Because I think this is a very sneaky thing in the Woodlands culture. That we can be blind to a culture of performance. And my parents invested thousands of dollars into me as a saxophone player. And so I wanted to be the best saxophone player I could be. My family invested time and energy into cultivating me. This church spent time and energy in cultivating me as a Christian. So I want to be the best Christian I could be. And what happened was I built my hope on what other people thought of me. And when I moved from all those people, it all came crashing down. But God and his kindness on an intramural field playing ultimate Frisbee connected me with a church called University Heights, and that church rescued me from that season. And I left my freshman year declaring in a way I never had before, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So on Christ, the solid rock I stand, for all other ground is sinking sand. But how many of us are here this morning, perhaps even unknowingly, placing our hope in the wrong place? Not on the grace that is ours in Jesus, but on a subculture of performance and ah, progress. Parents, what do you do when your kids move back in and your hope has just been for their success and progress and sending them out? Maybe they failed out of college. What do you do then? What is, how does that feel? What do you do when your son or daughter walks away from God? Where was your hope then? What happened to your hope then? What happens when you get laid off from your job? And you find nothing for months. Where's your hope then? Is it in the grace that is it to be revealed or is it in a momentary situation and circumstance? If you and I are going to walk in inexpressible joy, it will be because our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. This is the only secure place for our hope to be found. Uh, but for me, there, there was, as the text says, a real mental battle involved in that process. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. I'm convinced that for you and I, especially in this culture, have to engage daily in hard mental work to remind ourselves of where our hope belongs. I'm convinced that you and I, beyond the woodlands, live and breathe in it oxygen that screams place your hope in something else. 
Place your hope in, in this new car, every commercial says. Place your hope in, in this new iPhone that's going to change your life. Place your hope in anything other than Jesus. And so you and I, day after day after day, are called to do heavy mental lifting to remind ourselves of where our hope should be. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be yours at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Man, I'll tell you what happens for me every Sunday morning at our church in Huntington in Huntsville, and then this morning, man, I am reminded rightly of where my hope belongs. Man, how can you not be? I mean, that was spectacular. Praise God for this worship team. And what happened was my hope was, it was reminded. I'm educating my hope. Why do we, why does Jimmy Dobson wake up at four in the morning to meet with Jesus? Why? Because he wants to remind himself of where his hope belongs. Because the job that he worked and the life that he lived, it would be so easy to forget that. As the culture crashes against a police culture and, and what's happening, and, and it would be so easy to lose hope. Unless, unless morning after morning after morning after morning, he meets with Jesus, who says, remember, remember where your hope belongs. It's not in this world. It can be found in nothing in this world, but only Jesus. Where's your hope this morning? Where are you placing it? And would you commit to do the heavy lifting, the hard mental work of reminding yourself of where your hope rightly belongs? If we're going to walk in inexpressible joy, this is what it will require. But then we could almost do a test, an examination, if you will, of if our hope is in the right place. Uh, how? Let's read verses 14 through 17. As obedient children, notice this is a result of hope. Here's what happens when our hope is in the right place. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. How do I know my hope is in the right place? Because I've built my life on Jesus. Not just my hope, but now every part of my life begins to be formed and transformed, not conformed. Notice the text. Not conformed, but transformed into holiness. What holiness? God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, my song shall rise to thee. Why? Because I have to prepare my mind for action. I have to be sober-minded. And when my hope is in Jesus, my life looks different. You know how I know? Because my freshman year at Sam, while I was contemplating suicide, the Lord did a surgery in my life. And he changed my hope. And he set it on Jesus. And you know what happened? I found inexpressible joy. Because that's what happens when our hope is in the right place. It changes our lives. 
it changes them specifically into obedient children, not being conformed, but being holy and living in fear. I thought about how do we communicate this? The holiness of God is such a, a far off, majestic type subject that is oh, so hard to grasp for such a finite mind, at least like my own. How do we illustrate the holiness of God? How do we think about the holiness of God? Well, uh, as I shared, we are in the process of selling our home and, and buying a new home in San Marcos, where we'll move in January. How many of you have bought or sold a home before? Just real quick. You've, you've bought or sold. Okay, most of you. Okay, so you know, uh, first of all, there's like a billion pages of paperwork, but then there's this thing called the inspection, the house inspection, where some third party unrelated to the realtor or the buyer or the seller, comes into the home and inspects everything. I mean, I think that man even opened my underwear drawer. I mean, they looked at every inch of our house, and then he prints out this 33-page report and says, holiness, that's what it looks like. Don't talk about my house like that. Do you know how hard I've worked for this house? Do you know how much time I've spent working on this house, making sure it's staying in good function for my wife and my kiddos, and you're going to walk in here? What kind of nerve you got? And my house gets inspected, and what happens? I find out all the places, all the places, where my house is not holy. It is not how the house was built to be. It is not how... The good design of this house was meant to be. So let me pause here for a moment and just address a subject that has been transform transformative in my understanding of God. I am convinced not only does God want us to walk in inexpressible joy each and every day of our lives, but he has a good design for our lives. Uh, this involves boundaries. And, and when I was a student here and making out with girls and my dad's getting on to me, it's, it's because I was not walking in God's good design. They called me out of that. Why? Because God has a good design for our lives and how he's made us to live. This is called holiness. This is called righteousness. God's good design for you and I. Uh, similar to that idea, my house has a good design. Apparently, a hot water heater is supposed to have some type of pan underneath it with some really expensive drainage system in case it ever leaks. I said, well, it never leaks. <laughs> you don't need all that. It's in the garage anyway. And then he comes and says, and, and these back doors of yours, these French doors that you have, this, this lock is broken. I said, we never opened that door. Who cares about that lock? But, but there's a couple things that happens here in this home inspection that I think relate to this text. A couple responses when you and I encounter the holiness of God. If we're going to examine, is my hope in the right place? I think a good house inspection is in order. I think the first thing that can happen is we choose to ignore the things that are not holy in our lives. Okay, so these French doors. I, I, I knew this door didn't work. <laughs> That's why I never opened it. <laughs> I, I knew that you kind of had to lift it a little bit to turn the lock to make sure it shut all the way. But I've lived there four years. I don't think about that anymore. I've just, I've just figured out how to work around it. I've ignored it. 
And, and sure, there's a plastic bin where the evaporator under my AC is supposed to be in case it ever leaks and overflows, but I don't think about that anymore because now I've got this wonderful plastic bin that solves the problem. I don't think about that. And I wonder for us, when we encounter the holiness of God and he calls us out of sin, there's things that we've just completely stopped thinking about in our lives. That there's sin that we've just become so accustomed to living with, that we've just adjusted in our lives, that we've just said, oh, this is how it is. That if we were to encounter the holiness of God, we would be shocked at some of the brokenness we've just decided to live with. Man. Mm. Just these past two weeks, I've been confronted with holiness and giving. Where my wife, who's far more godly than me, we just received some fairly significant gifts towards our family for this new move. And she said, hey, you know, I think we should give 10% of that. I said, well, I think you're crazy. (laughs) We already tithe even more than 10%. We don't need to get, this is like a special gift. This is just for us. Like that's for the new stuff that's going to go in our new house. That's not God's money. They didn't give it to God. They gave it to us. Woman, what are you talking about? And I find out, man, there's a house inspection happening in my heart. But I, I've just become accustomed to, to wanting to live with things for myself. And, and I have a direct deposit to my church that comes out of my paycheck, so I don't have to think about generosity. I already checked the religious box. Man, what happens? We've just become accustomed to living with brokenness that so we don't even think about it anymore. Here's the second thing that happens is we become defensive. We either just ignore the brokenness, or when we really get called out, we just get defensive. So when you hear, be holy like I am holy, or as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion, we go, I'm not being disobedient. Man, I'll tell you, when I got that 33-page report and this man wanted to talk about my house like that, man, I said, what's his phone number? I'm going to give him a call. I'm going to tell him. And then the buyers... They want to tell us what needs to be fixed before they buy it? (sighs) The nerve. But perhaps you're in a small group. Now, you've been slowly going off the rails. And your ABF leader, your small group leader, they, by God's grace and his good design, decide to sit down next to you and, and help call you out of that brokenness. What's your posture? I know for me, oftentimes it's defensive. I say, hey, don't talk to me about this stuff. Hey, so let's just do a, a brief house inspection, shall we, right now? I just want to ask a question that I ask many believers in Texas. When's the last time you shared the good news of Jesus with someone who's far from God? Chris, that's the preacher's job. No, it's not. Read your Bible. So when's the last time that you shared the gospel? I mean, hey, do you want to know something, person who's far from God? Do you know that I believe in a God who sent his son to die on a cross for my sins, be buried in the ground, and then busted up out of that tomb because he's stronger than death? And then when he ascended, he gave us his Holy Spirit. Do you know how crazy that sounds when you're talking to someone who didn't grow up in church? And if you're like, it doesn't sound crazy, it's probably because you haven't shared that with a lost person in a while. 
So if, if Jesus were to come and do a house inspection this morning and he were to ask the question, hey, why aren't you talking about me regularly with those that are far from me? What's your posture? Are you defensive? Do you want to make excuses for why you're not doing that? Oh, I'm too busy, or I would embarrass myself. I might lose my job. Okay, well, Jesus lost his life so that you and I might know God. And so if he comes in and does a house inspection, what's your posture? But when I realized in our home that I was being called to holiness in our household, I had to pursue a third option. I couldn't ignore it because I needed to sell my home, and I couldn't get defensive because I needed to sell my home, so I got to work. And so yesterday, still a little frustrated, I'm fixing our home. Why? Because that's what's been asked of me. That's what's been commanded of me. There are now legal documents that say they do not have to buy this house if these things are not repaired. When Jesus saved your life, and we fixed our hope on him, there are things that he commanded from us. Holiness. Conduct yourselves with fear. I want to pause and think about this fear thing for a moment. I have a very vivid picture in my head when I think about the fear of God. It was before I came to Crossroads, uh, we were actually still living in Houston at the time, and I have a problem with the giggles. Sometimes I get the giggles and I just can't stop. I know that's like weird for a grown man to say, but it's still a problem even in my adult life. And uh, I'm just convinced it's part of this inexpressible joy that the Lord's allowed me to walk in, or it's perhaps my father's fault. Um, <laughs> But I was in Sunday school as a six-year-old boy, and I got the giggles. I think it's because I was stuffing graham crackers in my mouth. That's also a problem I got from my father. Um, but I got the giggles in Sunday school, and I couldn't stop. And my Sunday school teacher asked me to stop, and I kept laughing, and I kept laughing. And then who walked in the room? It felt like the Holy Ghost in the form of a crazy African man that I called Father. And I was not an obedient child. I was a disobedient child being conformed. I wasn't walking in holiness. And so he pulls me out of that classroom and says, son, we're going home. Do you mean like forever home to the Lord? Because that's what it feels like right now. And man, my stomach, I think, stayed at church that day as we drove home. I mean, I thought, I'm going to die. Like, I really think he might end my life. And we're driving home. I remember it just like it was yesterday. He says, son, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And I say, you've obviously not had a spanking in a while. This is going to hurt. <laughs> and then with tears rolling down his face, he bent me over his leg and spanked me. Why? Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He did that because he's my father and he has a good design for my life. And it doesn't involve disrespecting those that are investing in me. He did that because he's my father 
And he wants me to walk in inexpressible joy each and every day of my life. And he knows if I disrespect my authority, it's going to lead to my ruin. But he also did that. And I'm going to transfer to my heavenly father in the judgment and discipline he's brought into my life. Verse 18. God did that. We can place our hope in Jesus. Why? Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Why? So that your faith and hope are in God. Why did my dad spank me? Why did he want to teach me what it looked like to walk in fear, to conduct myself in fear? Why? So that my faith and hope would be in God. Do you hear the lengths that God went to to secure a hope for you and I? He uses the word ransomed and the word blood. And we have this picture. They would have had this picture of ancient Israel being ransomed from slavery with the blood of a lamb spread on the doorpost when the angel of death passed over Egypt to kill every firstborn son. Do you know that you were ransomed from slavery by God? Not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with imperishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ Christ, who was sent for us to die for us, was buried in the ground for our sins and then was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father so that you and I could have a hope in an eternal life-giving king. Why would I place my hope in anything other than Jesus? Do I not see that he's, that he's worthy? He's the only worthy object of my hope. Man, just pause and reflect on all the places you've placed your hope that are not Jesus. And where did that end you? Would you hear today the worthiness of Jesus as the object of your hope? Would you hear today the great lengths that he went to to secure that hope for you and I? That God left heaven to dwell among us that he might ransom for himself a people so that our hope would be in him. Why? So that we could have inexpressible joy. Crossroads, where's your hope this morning? If you're curious about where it might be, I'd encourage you to ask a couple questions. Where's your joy coming from? And does your life progressively look more and more and more like the holiness of God? Because if it doesn't, I think you need to ask, is your hope in the right place? I'm going to invite uh, Rocky and the team to come back up. And, and as they do, we're going to sing. And, and I want to be very clear here. Perhaps you've come this morning and you're hearing, wow, my hope's not in the right place. And, and, 
And I think there's two different groups of us here. There's some of you here who maybe have never placed your hope in Jesus. Never in your life have you said, my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And today I would beg you, I would weep for you to believe in Jesus. Aren't you tired? Aren't you weary of looking for false things to set your hope on? Come to Jesus today. Believe in him today and begin to experience inexpressible joy. Believe that Jesus died on a cross, was buried in the ground and rose up from the dead that you might know God. But maybe you're here this morning, as I know many of you are, and you would say, I've believed in Jesus. You're like me heading off to college. I already know Jesus. But you're hearing God say to you this morning, yes, I know you know me, but you're not hoping in me. You're hoping in other things. You're chasing other things. Today, would you hear the goodness of Jesus? And would you abandon every other hope in the world and say, Jesus, only Jesus will my hope be placed in? Would we repent of the areas of our lives do not look like the holiness of God? Would we conduct ourselves with fear before a God who's so holy he could have wiped us out and yet he chose to ransom us at great cost to himself? Believer, would you hope again in Jesus this morning, perhaps like you never have before? And then I'm believing that as you begin to experience inexpressible joy, that we will go from here and we will see every tribe, nation, and tongue baptized in that water, declaring that Jesus and only Jesus is worthy of our hope. I pray for a day that your coworkers are being baptized regularly, that your household members are being baptized regularly, that waiters and waitresses and college students at Lone Star are being baptized. Why? Because there is a people that are living in inexpressible joy whose hope is in Jesus and only Jesus. God, would you come and do what only you can do in us and among us. God, as we sing praises to you, Lord, would you come and speak? Would your spirit sanctify us? I'll be down here at the front just for a few minutes. A couple other leaders and pastors in our church will be here this morning as well. If you want to pray with someone, I would love to pray with you. Let's sing to God now.